Let's go together in a word of prayer before we begin. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this Christmas season that we get to celebrate uh, and remember and be eternally grateful for. And Father, I pray that us as a congregation, that we would be faithful in this season to share with people the reason of why we celebrate Christmas and the coming of yourself, sending your son, Jesus, humbly to us so that we could be in right relationship with you. God, help us to do that. Give us the boldness to do that in this congregation. The people that we get to interact with on a regular basis, help us to be faithful, Lord. Father, I do want to pray for, for churches, specifically here in Ohio. I want to pray for uh, Friendship Baptist Church and New Concord and Brian Moffitt. Pray, Lord, that they would be faithful and continue to preach the gospel. Pray that you would um, get help them in this difficult season that they have been in um, this past year. Lord, that they have turned a corner um, and the, that they would see fruit um, that would, would exceed from here. So be with Brian as he leads that congregation faithfully. Lord, I also want to pray for Steel Valley Church in Youngstown, Ohio. Youngstown is a very difficult city to do ministry in. Um, they have experienced uh, a lot of hurts and loss of people and jobs in the last 50 years. And Lord, we pray that Steel Valley Church and Brent Beck, um, their pastor there, would be faithful and serving that community and preaching the gospel. Uh, we are grateful for their ministry in the inner city and at Youngstown State University. And Lord, do the same here. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful and continue to preach the word boldly. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are continuing our series, our Advent series here. Um, as we're working through Isaiah, and if you haven't been with us, um, we started this a couple weeks ago. We we're working through Isaiah chapter 9, taking one verse at a time. So two weeks ago, we looked at verse 2. Last week, we looked at verse 3. And as you expect, today we are going to be looking at verse 4. I will say this. This, this has been a, a very challenging thing for me to do. Um, I don't know how the other guys have felt about this, but preaching a verse is a, a difficult thing. But here's the thing that I found out, that the Bible is so rich, that even one verse, so much, can come out of that. And my hope and prayer is that I am, uh, I am faithful in that as well. Tim Challies once said, he said, a preacher has failed in his calling if he is looked at instead of looked through. I'll say it again, a preacher has failed in his calling if he is looked at instead of look through. And so my goal here today is for you not to look at me, but to look through me, Christ and the gospel and the saving work that he has graciously done for us. In the fall of 2014, the summer of 2015, I served as a missionary in Eastern Europe with Crew or Campus Crusade for Christ. Some of you might be familiar with them. It's in a small country of about two million people called Slovenia. Anybody heard of Slovenia? Got a few? Okay, good. So Slovenia, a little bit of history about Slovenia. They used to be a part of the communist country of Yugoslavia. If you go there today, you see these beautiful buildings in the capital city of Ljubljana. 
These were built hundreds of years ago in the old town. There's even an 11th century castle that overlooks the city of the old part of the, of the town. You can also see the 70-year reign of communism in the buildings that were built at that time. These buildings were built simple, concrete, dull, colorless. They're not built to catch the eye. They're built cheap, they're built easy, and they're built practical. People in Slovenia, however, did not deal with government oppression as much as some did in Eastern Europe. During my time there in Slovenia with crew, they had a conference every year where they would host, every four, sorry, every four years, they would host staff from those who served in Eastern Europe and Russia. We got to go to the southernmost part of Turkey, a little town, well, it's not a little town, but a city called Antalya. It's a beautiful place, a lot of resorts, kind of the resort area of that country of Turkey. But during that time, hundreds of staff people with crew came to celebrate and hear vision for the next four years. People came from places like Bosnia, Macedonia, Croatia, Lithuania, Ukraine, Moldova, Belarus, Russia, and more. Each night during the week, they would have culture nights where one of these countries would be kind of highlighted. They would show their culture to the rest of us. And night one of that experience was unlike any other. It was the country of Albania. I quickly learned that Albanians, they were fun. They were the life of the party. They were joyful. They were humorous. They were funny people. And I became friends with one of these Albanians. Ermal is his name. I asked him many questions about himself and his culture, why he was the way he was, and a little bit about his past. And I learned a lot about the country of Albania and its history. What they had been through as a nation. 1967, they were called the first atheist nation. They were a nation in isolation. They had and wanted no connections outside of their geographical territory. How bad was it? On a TGC article said in the 1980s, it was the third poorest country in the world. Farm technology had not been updated since the 1920s. Pharmacies only carried aspirin for medicine. TVs would be on from two to three hours a day, and they would show malnourished people in Africa. And they would be telling them that this is happening all over the world, that what they're experiencing here. Religion was outlawed. If you had a cross and it was found out about, instantly three years in prison. A Bible, instantly five years in prison. And here's the thing. Most of them believed it. They believed what they were being told. And some of them felt like they were the luckiest people in the world living in this communist country. They knew no different. This was the Albanian dream. They felt oppression, but they did not understand it. Some may have thought that there has to be a better life to live out there, but this was all that they knew. This was government oppression. And I say this all say because this passage, as we're going to talk about oppression, this passage is not just about that. It's about a greater oppression in the world and what we see here. And we'll come back to this story in a little bit. But if you've seen the title of this message, it actually was kind of taken from the song, Oh Holy Night. One of the verses in that song. By his name, all oppression will cease. 
So let's read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 4, and then we will dive into this. It says, For the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulders, and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Last week, Jonathan talked about joy and rejoicing. Why can they rejoice? It's because what's, what's being said here in the next two verses. If you look at how these, these verses in these first kind of seven verses here from 9, 1 to 7, kind of broken down in this way, verses 1 and 2 go well together. Verses 3 and 5 go well together. Verses 6 and 7 go well together. And so the reason that they can rejoice is because what's happened here in verse 4 and then again here in verse 5. And do not worry, Michael Gilbert, who is not here with us, but I am not going to steal your thunder. I told him that already. But it's very easy to try to latch on to the, maybe the verse before you or the verse after you when you're preaching one verse. But the reason that they can rejoice here is because of the yoke, the staff, the rod, they have been broken. They have been broken. And Ben, two weeks ago, did such a great, terrific job of quickly and efficiently walking us through um, some of the historical context of how we got to this point in the Old Testament. And the reason that this is mentioned has to do with the oppression of the Assyrians, that northern country that was kind of creeping into them. And Isaiah is trying to tell these people that this battle here, it belongs to the Lord. It's not yours necessarily to fight, and it's not other entities trying to tell you what to do. And if you look at this first part of this verse, you see the yoke of his burden. The burden. If you're following along, the burden. We're looking at the burden here. Leviticus 26.13 tells us, just follow along with me. It says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. What is a yoke? What does a yoke do? This is what they're burdened by. It's this yoke. It was traditionally used as a beam for two ox to pull something. They were yoked together. They were connected to work together. The yoke's being here, however, is used negatively. It says that you are yoked and because that you are burdened by it. In Egypt, they were slaves and yoked to Egypt. But God reminds them here in Leviticus that you have been set free and are now able to walk like you were supposed to. J.A. Moitier in his commentary says that the yoke is suffering endured. It lasts. It's patience. It's patient suffering. It's long. And it was amazing to see the amounts of time that the word yoke is used throughout the Bible. It's used negatively here in this context, but you also could see it in a positive light someplace else. What does Jesus say to yokes? We know this verse well. We, we, we read this sometime in our call to worship. Matthew eleven, twenty nine through 30 says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, take my yoke upon you and you will learn for, from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is, Christ kind of fulfilling what's taking place here. He says, my yoke is not to slavery. It's not to oppression or to sin. He says, it is to me. 
And you know what? And he'll say this later. He'll say this later on the cross. He says that it is finished. The finishing work of Jesus. Making payment for sin. And reminding us that you cannot work towards it. You cannot outwork it. My yoke is easy. It's gentle. And it is ultimate. It is freedom. And we can rest in that. We can rest in Christ. Even in the Christmas season, as in American culture, we're always, we're running, we're busy, we're going to this event, to that event, to this concert, to that concert, this program, to that program. Fast pace. But let us learn to rest. Ultimately rest in Christ. He promises us, promises that to us. But we, the problem is that we are ultimately yoked and burdened by the sin in our lives and the sin in the world. It's sin that has caused these Israelites to be where they're at in this passage. That's why they're here. It's sin that has called, it's called God to call Isaiah to speak to these people here. But here's the good news. Paul says in Galatians 5.1, he says this, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery that word yoke again. That slavery that Paul is specifically referencing to is regarded to the law. But that slavery to the law was causing them to ultimately sin. They were adding to their salvation, specifically through circumcision. And they're relying on themselves and not Christ. They are slaves to their sin. And this is our burden as humans. Our great burden is our sin. But Christ has set us free. So Christians, stand firm in Christ's freedom and do not be yoked to sin. And if you are in the room today and you are struggling with receiving grace or struggling to try to, 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 to do more for the Lord out of obligation, I want to encourage you to go to Galatians 5 and read the first part, the first 15 verses of that and see what Paul is saying there. You cannot earn anything when it comes to your salvation. It cannot happen. I remember struggling with this right after college, and I thought that I needed to do more, all these things for God, otherwise that God would be disappointed in me. He would be upset. I remember hearing a sermon over this passage, expositionally preached, working through it, and it changed my life. It, and I felt so much freedom, a, kind of a weight lifted off of my shoulders. There is full freedom in Christ. He did it all. Be yoked to him. Be yoked to him and know what true freedom feels like. The yoke is being broke. The yoke is broke. And the oppression is ending. But the reason that freedom cannot be felt is because that there is an oppressor. We're going to look at the oppressor. We have to talk about the oppressor here. And I think from what we know and what we see, the oppressor that is talked about here deals with what's happening, happening historically. So if you want to turn just a, pay, or a chapter over, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 10. We're going to look at, at verse 24 through 27. So if you want to follow along with me, help bring some good context to us of, of the oppressor. Verse 24 says that, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike you with the rod, and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. 
For in a very little while, my fury will come to an end, and my anger will be directed to their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will yield against them a whip as when he struck Midian at the rock of Oreb. And his staff will be over the sea, and he will lift it up as he did in Egypt. And in that day, his burden will depart from your shoulder, and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be broken because of the fat. See the similar language between verse 4 and these verses here? We see things like rod and staff and yoke and day of Midian. These passages connect because there is an oppressor in what they are dealing with. He's talking about the Assyrians. And they are afraid of them. We're not really sure what they're specifically afraid of, but it could be the yoke, the rod, and the staff here are physical tools that they are using to harm them. Or it could be this high taxation, domineering rule that they are feeling oppressed by. But in their day, this is what they are dealing with. This is the nation that they are worried about. This is the oppressor that is on them. But what does God tell them to do? He says, do not be afraid. Remember back what I did in Egypt. We already looked at Leviticus, uh, the verse in Leviticus 26. God says, I broke the yoke. The Lord says that I will end them. Let me handle that. Let me handle that. You Israelites, you focus on me. You come back to me. But here's the thing. They are coming. The Assyrians are coming. God is allowing them to come. He said that you have worshipped other things for far too long, but you know what? That day will end. And my wrath, my wrath will come upon them. And they will be destroyed. Those Assyrians will be destroyed. Assyria, Assyria is their oppressor. But ultimately, this is not about cultural oppression, government oppression, or worldly oppression. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to them? Because God's judgment is on his people in this situation. They have turned and they have worshipped other things. They have chosen sin over God. Sin is the burden and sin is also the oppressor. And we see this everywhere today. Sin oppresses so many things in this world, if we're being honest. Sin oppresses so many things in this world. It oppresses families when the dad walks out of his family and his kids and says, I'm done. That's oppressive. It oppresses the ethnic group that thinks their, their ethnic group is, is more superior to another ethnic group. We've seen this all throughout history. It oppresses the pastor in Central Asia whose country literally says Christianity is illegal. The country that lives by the Shahada that says there is no God but God and Muhammad is his messenger. Where Islam dominates. That pastor is very oppressed. One of the verses for some reason that always has struck me and always come, I just always come back to this is John 10.10. 10. You guys remember John 10.10? 10? It's Jesus speaking here where he says the, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That thief is the oppressor. That thief is the enemy. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy. 
But luckily, the verse is not in there. Jesus continues on to say, he says that I came that they might have life. But not just have life, have it abundantly. Jesus came to defeat the oppressor so that we can know what the abundant life is. It's life with him and right relationship with the Father. It's nothing more, it's nothing less. That's the abundant life. Life and relationship with God through faith in Christ what it means to live the abundant life. But how is he going to do that? He's going to do something miraculous. And the day of Midian helps us understand what's going to take place. Looking to the past, looking to the present, and also looking to the future. So we have to talk about this. What is the day of Midian? What is being referenced here? Some of you might know exactly where we're going and what's happening and what we're about to talk about. I think those of you that probably excelled at Bible quizzing might know what, what, we're, what, we're, what we're looking at here. But those of us who did not excel in Bible quizzing, let me, let me refresh us on what's about to take place. So the day of Midian, he's referring to Gideon in Judges chapter 6 and 7. The Lord and Israel's unrighteousness gives them up to the Midianites for seven years. And they are oppressing them. Okay, think back to Judges. They are, they, I mean, this is, this is a terrible time in, in the history of, 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 of Israel. This is a terrible time in the history of Israel. They're being oppressed. And an angel appears to Gideon and tells him that the Lord is going to deliver them. And Gideon is not happy about the situation whatsoever. He asks, why are they here and how will the Lord allow such a thing to happen to them? Seven years they've dealt with this. And God comes to Gideon because he wants to use him and his plan to bring about freedom to God's people. The only problem is, was when God comes to Gideon, Gideon is not on board with this. He is not on board with this idea. And he's questioning God. He's questioning everything that's going on. And so what, what does Gideon do? He says, all right, God, I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going to make a deal with God. I'm going to lay this, 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 uh, this fleece of wool on the ground, dry fleece of wool. And he said, you can make this dry fleece wet in the morning, then I know that you will deliver us from the Midianites. The Lord does it. Not only does he, does he do it, but he does it twice because Gideon didn't, didn't, he made a deal with God, didn't, didn't take him up on his deal the first time, so God does it again. And then Gideon agrees to allow the Lord to use him to defeat the Midianites. Gideon has 32,000 people to fight. 32,000 people to the battle of the Midianites. What does God say to him? He said, that's too many. He said, say to him, anybody that's scared and fearful, leave. You're, you're, not, you're not on this team. You're not ready to fight. 22,000 people leave. Quick math says they got about 10,000 people left. They got 10,000 people left. And God comes back to Gideon and says, that's still too many. You know the story. God says, let's take them down to the water and see how they drink from the river. They take him out of the water, drink from the river. He said, the people that lap the water with their mouth, he said, those are my soldiers. Those are the people I want to fight for me. Everyone else, let them be released. Take him down the river. 300 people out of the, the 10,000 lap the water. So if you're in a fighting mood, you want to go down the river, lap the water. If not, just put, put your head in there and just, just drink it. They got 300 people left. And those were the people that God was going to use. 
Gideon and these 300 people, they form a plan. They get into three groups of 100. They get trumpets. They get clay jars with torches in them. And they stand around the camp of the Midianites. They break the jars. They blow the trumpets. And chaos happens. The Midianite army, they flee. And then they start fighting themselves. They start, they start fighting themselves. And that happens, the Israelite people, they come in, they come down, they capture the two princes, they seize the land, they kill the prince, and now they are not under the oppression of the Midianites. That was the quick Cliff Notes version of Judges 6-7. through 7. Hope I did a sufficient job with that. But God does this without a battle, without a war. He does it by his power and the obedience of a man of valor named Gideon. So what does this have to do with this passage? Where am I going with this? God is saying he's going to do it again. He's going to do it again. He's going to break the oppression of the Assyrians like he did with the Midianites. He said, I have done this before. You know the story. I'm going to do it again. So what does this have to do with Christmas? What do these verses in Isaiah chapter 9, specifically in verse 4, have to do with anything regarding the Christmas story? Well, I think God is telling us that he's about to do it again. He's going to do it again. But this time, he's not sending Moses. This time, he's not sending Gideon and 300 men. This time, he's sending himself. And this time that the oppressor is not a nation, it's not an ethnic group, it's not a country, it's not a government. This time he's taking out the great oppressor. He's taking out Satan and sin. He's taking away the burdens of the yoke, the rod and the staff of sin, and he's going to defeat it. Like he did in Egypt, like he did with the Midianites, like he did with the Assyrians. He's going to do it. But he's going to do it in a way that not too many people thought he would. Not with a battle. Not with a fight. Many thought the Messiah, the Jews thought the Messiah would, would do this. He would battle, he would fight, he would Get them to, to break away. That's not what Jesus came to do. Think about the Christmas story. Jesus comes humbly. Very humbly. Right? You guys know the story. There was no room for them in the end. They're taken to a manger with animals, straw, and hay. A babe in a manger. Coming and willingly coming to the cross to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what I believe this passage is pointing to here. Jesus doing something that nobody expected him to do. So that we can have freedom. We can have so much hope. Christ is releasing the chains of sin and Satan, and allowing those who have trusted in him to be free from the bondage of oppression. 
And the hope of the coming of Christ means freedom from bondage. Let me say that again. The hope of the coming of Christ means freedom from bondage. My friend Ermal that I had mentioned from Albania, I'd sent him a message on Facebook. That's how we're kind of connected. And just said, hey, I'm going to share this story about meeting you and your country. And gave me just a thumbs up. And then a few hours later, he sent me this picture. It was November 28th when, it, when this happened. And it was the Independence Day for the country of Albania. Because the story doesn't end where they're being oppressed and being this, this atheist nation. Because in 1991, the communist country of Albania began to topple, as most do. At that time, Christians were able to get in. One report said they thought they maybe had 16 Christians that they knew of in the entire country. Campus Crusade was one of those first groups to get in there. But when they did, and, and well, let's just say when they did, the Lord started to work specifically with young, young adults and college-age students that they were working with. Hundreds of people in those first few years gave their lives to the Lord. It had an effect on that country and obviously had an effect on these people that I got to meet, I had the chance to meet eight years ago. And today they say around 17,000 are evangelicals of believers. Before it was a communist country, it was, it was predominantly Muslim, Muslim country until the, they were the atheist nation. Now 17,000 are evangelical believers in that country. Still much work to get done. But so much work has been done since 1991 that the Gospel Coalition even started their own chapter, TGC Albania. Why? Because Reformed theology has had an impact on their lives and, the, and, and these people. They even know names like Piper and Sproul and DeYoung and Stephen Wellham and Don Carson. Good, solid teaching is taking place in that country. Praise God for that. But there's still much more work to be done in that country. But just think, just a few decades ago, these Albanians were oppressed by governments, by, bo by both their government and their sin. But now, but now, they have found freedom in their nation that they live in. But more importantly, they have an abundant amount of freedom that is in Christ. That's what this is about. It's about the freedom in Christ. That Jesus that came 2,000 years ago to set us free by his will and by his mercy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you the Christmas season. We thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate this. We thank you that your word shows us so much hope. In a world dominated by sin and oppression, that there is, there is release. And that release comes from you and only from you can we feel and understand what that freedom is. Lord, I pray that those who are followers of you in this room can understand that, can know that, can experience that, and just feel the weight of everything just totally lifted off of them. And I pray, Lord, that there's anybody in this room that does not know you, that, Lord, that they would want to trust in you, to be able to know you, know you and experience and know the truth that you have set us free from sin. 
Help us to believe that. Help us to trust in it. Help us to share that with others. We love you, and we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.